fossil fans and dino lovers. Welcome to the Paleo Podcast, brought to you by the Cranbrook Institute of Science and Podcast Nation. Here are your hosts, Tim and Dr. Andrew. Tim, how's it going today? I'm good, Andrew. How are you doing? I am great. I am super excited for today's episode. So today, we are going to talk about something that we don't know too much about insects during the time of dinosaurs. Because as you might expect, their bodies are relatively soft compared to something like, oh, I don't know, dinosaur bones. So they oftentimes don't actually get fossilized. The best known example of when they are preserved is in amber, otherwise known as fossilized tree sap, which can flow over insects and preserve them in three dimensions. But as it turns out, there is another way to preserve insect remains from the time of dinosaurs in three dimensions. And with that, I will gladly introduce today's guest, Dr. Martin Konstrom, a researcher from the Department of Organismal Biology at Uppsala University in Sweden, a paleontologist who studies something called coprolites. Martin, thank you so much for joining us today. So the million dollar question, can you tell us what a coprolite is? <laughs> yes, I can. So. A coprolite is coprolite just a scientific name to describe fossilized feces, so fossil poop. And it's it's a fusion of two words really in Greek. So kopros, which means dung or excrement, and lithos, which means stone. So it literally means poo stone. <laughs> well, makes sense, right? It does, it does. And I mean, coprolites aren't just like endless sources of, of jokes amongst paleontologists, but also a very, very important source of information because coprolites are pretty abundant, actually. And the information that we find in the coprolites are, of course, the food residues and parasites and whatsoever, those things that the producers of the coprolites carry. So they tell us a lot about the living dinosaurs or various extinct animals that produce these coprolites. Very interesting. So is this something you always planned to research or something you just ended up doing when the research kind of fit what those questions, you know, what questions could be answered by the coprolites? Yeah, so actually when I was uh, back, when I was still a student, I was working on mostly sedimentology connected to other kinds of trace fossils and mainly tracks. And when I was doing this work, I accidentally saw a bunch of thin sections. So very thin piece of, 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 of rocks that you sort of saw and then polish so you can look through them and, and study them under microscope of coprolites that my, my former supervisor had in his office. And he was talking about these specimens and that he didn't really have time to look at them and study them. And I was like, this is so fascinating that we, we have such things preserved in the fossil records. And I immediately saw that they contained a lot of different things. And I was so curious that I asked if, if it was all right that I, I just checked them uh, after working hours uh, during my free time. And that sort of developed eventually into a PhD project. So it was pretty much an accident. <laughs> That's what you get for being curious, I guess. So the, yeah, so the big discovery, discovery with the coprolites you studied are the incredibly well-preserved insect remains you found uh, inside of them. Can you tell us about those insects and what makes them so significant? Yeah, so we found in several coprolites these remains of tiny little insects, and especially beetles. So 
uh, at first I found these kind of beetle remains in several different coprolites, uh, but all of the same types. All the coprolites look very similar and they contain similar uh, insect remains. And mostly what I found was isolated small bits and pieces. So mostly the, the hardened cover wings of beetles. So, you know, like beetles have two pair of wings, right? The the, the flight wings and then the cover wings that yeah. cover these flight wings. So when they fly, they sort of, uh, they sort of, uh, um, uh, what, what would you call it? How would you describe it? They sort of fold out their hard cover wings and mm -hmm. they, they, they used to fly, to, to mm -hmm. fly off. And, and these hardened cover wings are, are very resistant uh, and thus they pres preserve more easily than other parts of the beetle exoskeleton. So we found a lot of those. But then I had two students working on a small coplite uh, fragment and they found these basically intact beetles. So these are one to two millimeter long beetles. So mm -hmm. they're about you know as long as the tip of your pencil or something like that. So really, really small. But the technique we used to x-ray these coprolite meant that we could 3D reconstruct these in such details that we saw that they had the antenna and the legs intact. They were basically looking back at us like <laughs> they were just, you know, small recent beetles that we had under the microscope. Wow. So it's really, really amazing that they were so well preserved, preserved in 3D with all these details and more than 200 million years old and preserved in fossil feces. This was something yeah. completely new to us. Wow. So I know uh, sometimes science can be predictable. Did you expect to find uh, beetles? Like perhaps were you looking for them in the fossils or did you just kind of happen upon them and go, oh, these are beetles? Yeah, so at first when we scanned a lot of coprolites, I wasn't really sure what to expect. I mean, I did expect to find a lot of fish remains and actually insect remains as well, because we had from from previous like preliminary analysis seen that we had small pieces of exoskeleton from the insect remains. But what I didn't believe though, was that we were gonna find so complete material that we were gonna be able to describe it. Because uh, if you only have thin sections of fossils, it's very hard sometimes to identify what they are. So it's, I didn't expect to find such complete insects, for example. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. So from what I read, uh, you've identified the creature that left that particular coprolite behind as a Coelosaurus opalensis, uh, which lived around 230 million years ago. Uh, but I also saw it was described as a dinosaur relative. So how do you know it came from specifically Coelosaurus opalensis, and how do you know that that's a dinosaur relative as opposed to being a full-blown dinosaur? That's a very good and difficult question to answer. So, <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> what, so, of course, one challenging thing is to try to identify what's in the coprolites, right, that we talked about a little bit. But the other challenging thing is to identify the producer of the coprolite. So in this case, the, the, the coprolites that contain all these insect bits, they're from a site where we also have a lot of body fossils. So we have skeletons of mm -hmm. various kinds, and we have a fairly good understanding of the fauna from a few different layers, uh, pretty much the same layers from where we had the coprolites. And if we look at the size of the coprolites, they're about the size of your thumb, something like that. So, but, but still not a tiny animal, but it's targeting pretty small insects. So the best candidate that we know of from this particular site is Cilosaurus opalensis. It was 
pretty much as big as a coyote, mm-hmm. a bit longer, but weighing approximately 15 kilos. So what's that like maybe 30 pounds? Mm-hmm. So fairly small animal. It had a beak at the tip of its snout that we think was used to root around in the litter and perhaps peck this insects off the ground a little bit and similar to to modern birds, right? Right. So it's really the best candidate. But can we be sure it's Illusorus? Of course not. I mean, Mm. could be uh, compromised of of a producer that we don't even have any body fossil remains of. But it's taken together all the evidence that we have from this site. It's the most probable producer of these coprolites. Yeah. yeah, very interesting. Cool. So we have a few. Crop- oh, and, and then the second question there, if it, oh, yes. what, what's <laughs> the, where, where, it's, where it fits in the sort of phylogenetic tree or the mm-hmm. tree of life, mm-hmm. it's, it has very, it has a lot of characteristics of dinosaurs, but many studies place them as a sister group to dinosaurs. So very closely related to dinosaurs, but not an actual dinosaur. So it would be very hard for, for a non-expert to, to see this skeleton and say that it's not a dinosaur. And actually some other argue that they're nested within dinosaurs, that there are actually dinosaurs. So the future would tell where they, where they actually belong in, in the tree. But if they're dinosaurs or the slightly bigger groups that, that includes the, the uh, closest relatives of dinosaurs, dinosauriforms, it's a difficult question, uh, and I couldn't really tell you, but it's a very close relative to dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah, what a surprise. A, a debate in the paleontological record, right? <laughs> exactly. So we have a few coprolite specimens at our museum, and I do want to take this moment to thank you, by the way. So for our, our listeners, uh, Martin has been sending me some of the actual 3D files of these beetles, which we are then 3D printing, and we can go around and show them to guests at the museum, and they are always you know, blown away by the story behind them. And it's, it's just funny, you know, something that you stumbled upon that's 230 million years old and made its way as internationally and is now being used to educate other people. So thank you for that, first of all. Well, thank you for printing them. I, I saw saw images of them and they look absolutely fantastic. Yeah, they look awesome. Yeah. But so we like to use them and our, our copper lights for, I guess, what you would call paleontological pranks. So we ask our guests, you know, hey, do you want to touch a real fossil? And then we tell them afterwards it's a uh, dinosaur dropping. You know, I don't know if that's mean or not, but... Uh, what I've found is on occasion, maybe more often than not, people really don't know what to make of copper lights. You know, they're like, oh, do I need to wash my hands? And they're always kind of relieved when I state, no, don't worry, they're rocks. You know, this is, these are tens, if not hundreds of millions of years old, all the copper lights we have. So do you find you have a similar uh, explaining to do when you share your research? I, I definitely recognize uh, what you're talking about there. And first of all, I think it's not that mean at all. I mean, <laughs> I, I do similar pranks sometimes, and I, I think it's not particularly mean. But I agree. I, I, there are a lot of people that, you know, sort of joke around a little bit, and they don't, they don't know if they think it's disgusting or not. But what I also fi- find a lot, and I think you'd recognize this as well, is after that kind of discussion, people understand quite immediately after the initial surprise, that it could be pretty useful to study copper lights and see what they contain in order to reconstruct food webs, diets, and so on. So the curiosity and sort of the discussions that follow this sort of immediate surprise is something that I see a lot as well. And I think it's a lot of fun. I mean, I've had a lot of interesting discussions with kids at the museums when we have events and so on. And, and I think it's, it's really good material to use 
in order to discuss what can we what can we use different fossils for what, what kind of stories lie hidden in different types of fossils and copolites are indeed very very informative yeah, absolutely. And to be honest, I hadn't heard that much about research into copper lights before, at least not like what you're doing. Do you think there's still a lot of untapped potential for future research using this type of specimen? I definitely think there is. I mean, there's so much important uh, information hidden in these, like, I like to think of them as opaque, small treasure chests. So <laughs> yeah. really I I informative when it comes to diets and uh, and that kind of thing. But what, what I also know is that it's very time consuming if you want to go through a, a lot of different copper lights and, and, and scan them in high resolution and, and reconstruct the, the, the contents. But I think it's definitely worth it. And I think we're going to see more and more of these kind of, of studies because as we've discussed now with the insect remains, I mean, they're so well preserved that we know that things that usually don't preserve anywhere else or in other exceptional micro environments, such as in amber, uh, we actually find that kind of preservation in coprolites, which is so counterintuitive, but also very, very cool because it's not only preserved, it's in a sort of paleoecological context, which is so interesting. Yeah, that's awesome. So I have to ask, what's next for you? You know, are you going to still look for a little bit more of the same thing or do you feel like you've uncovered some, you know, new ways to look at coprolites and do you have other ideas in mind? So uh, we're currently working on a very big project where we have looked at coprolites and other signs of, of predation and interaction between, between uh, uh, animals from a few different ecosystems that sort of span the time intervals when dinosaurs go from being uh, small components of the fauna into completely dominating them 30 million years later. And we want to see how food webs change throughout that time. So we're kind of working on this humongous project right now with a lot of data and try to figure out uh, what happened during that time interval in a specific place. And Silosaurus and the Coprolites of Silosaurus is a little part of that big puzzle. And I hope we publish that sometime next year and that there will be uh, yeah, a new occasion for me to come here and talk about that kind of result. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to have you back. I'm definitely going to be following your research. So good luck with that. Yeah, me too. Martin, thank you so much for taking the time to be on our show today. We really enjoyed hearing about your research and I'm really excited to see what you do next. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, that was uh, really interesting, uh, mainly from the copper lights, but it's also really cool that paleontology is happening in Sweden for a change. Yeah, I had not heard of that. So, hey, another place to find dinosaurs. All right, Tim, that was another fun episode. And I don't know, these are getting harder and harder to beat, but I'm pretty confident we can keep coming up with some pretty cool paleo stuff. What about you? Yeah, I'm just trying to come up with a pun on copper lights, but I can't think of anything. So, <laughs> yeah, better play it safe. <laughs> Join us next time on the Cranbrook Paleo Podcast as Dr. Andrew and Tim answer a very important question. When did life begin on Earth? Or did it begin somewhere else in the universe? Whoa.